It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Hey, well, happy Father's Day. Dad's glad you're here. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Uh, Father says, boy, that's one of the great gifts of God for all mankind. Amen? Amen. I didn't hear many women there, but uh, we'll take that. We'll take whatever we got. Hey, I'm really looking forward to next Sunday, just so you know. And, man, this is, uh, I don't know if you've caught this, but, uh, man, there's going to be stuff here for all the kids. There's going to be horses here. Uh, axe throwing. I don't know what we're throwing at, but we're throwing axes. So, anyway, let's. we're going to give that a shot. Wagon hoe, carriage rides, uh, all kinds of good stuff. The men are supplying tri-tip. Now, that's what I'm talking about right there, some tri-tip. So, and by the way, Mary tells me we could still use some help and stuff. We need a cleanup crew. If you have the gift, the spiritual gift of helps or of serving, man, to hop in there. It would be a good time for you to just enjoy uh, the, the time together as we um, celebrate. So, hey, well, uh, take your Bibles and open them up to Ephesians, a New Testament passage, Ephesians chapter 5. And this morning, um, I... My text is going to be a Father's Day text, but I'm going to take the Father's Day text and I'm going to kind of marry it to our topic from the last couple Sundays. Uh, last couple Sundays, in case you haven't been here, uh, they tell me you can get that on uh, on the website somehow. Um, rated R for mature audiences or mature audiences only. We've been talking about some very serious things that we're dealing with in our own culture that Paul addresses in the book of Romans chapter 1. So today we're going to read from a different Bible passage, but I'm going to connect the two in our discussions from the last couple of weeks. Um, our passage today describes for me what I, would be, I, I believe to be kind of like God's model for fatherhood and families. It's God's design. Uh, I've married people for 50 years, I imagine, uh, and, and one phrase I often say in a wedding ceremony is, marriage has been designed by God, blessed of our Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage is a very serious thing. Fatherhood is a very serious thing. It's been designed by God, blessed of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that comes right out of the United Methodist Manual. Woohoo! Anybody awake out there? Yeah. So we're going to read just a few verses and... Typically, uh, when we read this, I always include, um, I start a little earlier, I always in- include the, the statements that Paul writes to us about uh, the, 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 the women. But today's not about the women, it's about the men. So we're going to skip that part, is that okay? I've never been an expert on women. But I am on, on men, I, I are one. So I got some things to say about men. So in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 25. And we're going to read what Paul has to say to us men about being the husbands God's designed us to be. So in the reading of God's word, let's stand to honor his word together. I'm reminded this morning it's God's inerrant, inspired authoritative word. 
Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and he cares for it. Just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Hallelujah. Now for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Wow, Lord, what a mouthful for us this morning to consider from your holy word that's been written and inspired, given by you, by your own heart. Lord, may we be a blessing to our fathers this morning, but may we as husbands and fathers be a blessing to our wives and to our children and our grandchildren. So now bless the preaching of your word. Hide the messenger behind the cross. May we see Jesus and Jesus only this morning. And we pray these things, Father, in your precious holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I've, I've told you this before, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you again. My wife loves the, she loves Eugene Peterson's message, the message translation. And it's pretty good on, on these verses. Let, let me read to you Eugene Peterson. Here's what he says. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk and radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor. I like that part. Since they're already one in marriage. Wow, ladies, you, you missed a great opportunity right there. That, that was a good one. That was a good one. Oh, he goes on to say, no one abuses his own body, does he? No. No, he feeds and he pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we're part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. And I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ 
treats the church. Woo! And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Wow. Got a problem in America, and part of it is that uh, there's a lack of godly husbands, and so women, uh, they misunderstand how God's designed marriage and designed men to serve, and we totally misunderstand the nature of, of marriage. It's not about me. It's about her. And it's how I am to serve and care and love, protect, honor her as Christ does the church. Wow, bless you. Um, I find it interesting um, that there are many different words uh, for God in the Bible. Uh, most of them, most of them are to describe a particular characteristic of God. He's a provider. Uh, he's almighty. He's El Shaddai. He's um he is Elohim. You you know a lot of the Hebrew words for God, they all describe a different piece or picture of the strength, the power, the love, the care of God almighty. But Jesus shows up now. <laughs> Jesus shows up. And he takes all this heavenly stuff and he brings it down to us. And he introduces to us God in a whole different fashion. In fact, it was so radical, it got him in trouble. Because he introduced God, the creator, the author and finisher of everything, as his father. And, and not just as father, but as Abba Father. And every time you see that phrase in the New Testament, th those two words are always together, Abba Father. And that little word Abba caused a lot of problems because, you know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, well, they, they couldn't even write the name of God out. They had to cheat a little bit because it was too holy. Jesus somehow takes all that holiness and power and authority and he brings it down. And, and he, he, he makes it relationship driven. And he calls God, the creator, daddy. Daddy. Now, when I first learned this years ago, I had a hard time with it. How do I relate to God as daddy? It seemed disrespectful. Does it not at some level? He is God. He's, he's almighty. He's the author and the finisher of our salvation. He's the Alpha and the Omega. There's no beginning and end to God, but Jesus calls him Abba, Daddy, Father. Go figure. And, and when you look at the, this, this idea, I mean, it expresses strong affection. 
It, it expresses confidence and trust. It ex- expresses a close, intimate relationship between a man and his offspring. Daddy. Um, uh, you know, um, Pastor Jason's already mentioned this, but part of the part of the problem we deal with is not everyone has had a godly father, and that creates an issue when you can't relate to your father as a loving, caring, compassionate man, protecting, providing, all the things that God designed for us to do, then I've got a problem with God as Father, right? Now, I don't know how many of you noticed last week um, in your worship folder there was this insert. Um, I-, I thought it was pretty cool, but it-, it was preparing us for Father's Day today. Did, did any of you read it? Um, Let me just read a little bit of it. Father's Day is about honoring dads, but what do you do if your dad wasn't a very honorable man? Now, that's reality. Maybe your dad never said, I love you. I know a man who's a leader in our church today, right now. Most of you would know him. And he admits publicly that his father never told him he loved him. A pastor. His dad, pastor, never told him he loved him. So, so here's this guy. Maybe your dad never said, I love you. Or, or maybe he abandoned your family. Or he was physically present, but he didn't positively influence your life. I understand the angst, he says, that you may feel around Father's Day. My history with my own fathers, plural, then wasn't much different than yours. My dad died an alcoholic. My stepdad walked out on my siblings and me the day of my mother's funeral. So he says, despite your pain and mine, we can still respect the long-held traditions that encourage us to honor our fathers because doing so is as much for our benefit as it is for theirs. And he says, maybe even more so. The Greek word from which we get our English word honor carries the meaning Honoring that which is honorable. In other words, we don't honor fathers, our father, for his abuse and his irresponsibility, but for the positive things, however few, he represented. For some, that may be nothing more than the fact that he gave us life. Wow. Now, now I have to confess, I'm I'm rather spoiled. Um, As a pastor, I, I... I've grown to realize that I'm one of the fortunate ones who had a a wonderful father, a godly man for a father. Um, uh, My dad wasn't perfect. You do do realize there are no perfect fathers. But he did his best and he loved. He had a firm hand of discipline on his kids. But I don't know how many times he would say, I love you. He would, he would do weird things. I remember one time we were sitting in the back patio of our home. And my mom and my dad were there. And my twin brother John and I were there. And my dad just said, 
Look at those boys. Look how big their hands are getting. Now, I've no, I, I know you've all noticed my, my extraordinary physique. <laughs> I've seen men with a lot bigger hands. But my dad was lifting up his sons. You see what I'm saying? He was encouraging us to be the men God called us to be. Look at those boys, Mom. I still remember him saying that. So, um, my father represented for me effective fatherhood, even though he wasn't perfect. He modeled a man who, um, he loved God's word. He loved to talk about God and pray. Um, he loved to take us to church. He, he, was, he was like an Abba Daddy father to me. And so when I think about God Almighty, and I see what Jesus said, my heart is, is moved. Because in the Bible, the word Abba is always followed by the word Father. And Jesus said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He's not talking to God Almighty. He's talking to his daddy. He's praying to his Father who he knows loves him and cares about him. So, three specific places. In Mark 14, when Jesus uses this phrase, you know where he is? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to die. And he's weeping before the Father. He's trying to wake up the disciples who continually follow asleep. And Jesus prays to the Father. He weeps. And the scripture says he prayed, Abba, Daddy, Father, if you can, would you please pass this cup from me? Do you not see tenderness and brokenness and that intimate fellowship of a father and a son? Daddy, please, I don't want to do this. But, but Dad, just so you know, not my will, but thine be done. Now there's the heart of the God we serve. He's not a tyrant with a whip. He's a spirit with a broken heart for his children. I love that picture of Jesus. And in the context of, of adoption, um, pretty incredible thing adoption is, Linda and I now have six adopted grandchildren. Um, we used to only have two granddaughters. I kept telling my children, hey, I'd like you to get biblical and go do what the Bible says. Procreate. Come on. Get going. We went like from two to ten, like zero to sixty, and one of these new um, fandangled, battery-driven, what do they call it? What's the name of the car? Huh? Tesla, Yeah. Two grandkids to ten like that. We go on sabbatical. We had two. We come home. We got eight. Since then we've had two more. 
And a bunch of them coming. Well, the first were in twos. They were twins. Then we had four. I said, somebody stop it. What are we going to have, six the next time? So our daughter, who we'll be with today, she and her husband adopted four at the same time, brothers and sisters. When we got them, you couldn't tease them. They didn't understand teasing. They would rage. The youngest um, was only six months. Uh, The oldest, 14, and she didn't make the transition. I wonder what an Abba, Daddy, Father difference would have made in her life. I told her one day, she was on the horse and I was holding her leash. and I said, honey, if you will trust us, we will protect you. We will honor you. We'll do everything we can to help you. And she still couldn't make it. So we have four instead of five. But, but I'm telling you this because adoption, Linda and I, we saw those four kids come into our household in our family during COVID. They had to do it online. And we sat there and wept in our living room as the judge said, do you want to be a part of this family? And they said, yes. We couldn't hold our emotions because we saw those little ones. And today they come into our house. We wrestle them. We throw them down. We kick them around. They kick us around. The raging is gone, the anger is gone, the bitterness is gone. You know why? Because someplace around they've, they've heard about an Abba Daddy father. They've all been baptized, accepted Jesus. And they're, and they're growing up in the admonition, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Well, in Mark 14, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Paul, the apostle in Galatians 4, 6 and Romans 8, 15, he puts this concept of Abba Daddy father in the arena of adoption. And because God has adopted us, we cry out from the depths of our hearts, Abba, Daddy, Father. You get it? Woo-hoo, that'll preach. I'm just getting warmed up. And by the way, this, uh, this Abba, Daddy, Father thing, this relationship is only given to those who have accepted God's only Son as Savior. It's not for everybody. So, the Holy Spirit enables us to be spiritually adopted and quote-unquote, our hearts cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's a new relationship. We just went from creator to adoption. Now we have a Father who loves us, not just someone who made us. Put that in the context of fatherhood. So, I look at this, this terminology, and only those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, did we sing that this morning, can experience this Abba Daddy Father relationship. Uh, you know, I heard a, a, some time ago about a little five year old boy. His daddy was a, he was a pastor of a super church. Ah, that's the wrong word. Every church is a super church. Uh, a mega church, a big church. Daddy was in his office with a bunch of men sitting around a table having a highfalutin meeting. All of a sudden, without anybody knocking or anything, the door opens. In walks the five-year-old boy. He passes the round table, goes around behind the back of the desk, desk 
of his daddy, gets up in the chair, props his feet up, puts his head back, and he says, Hi, Dad. I just thought I'd drop in and see how you're doing. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you something. Not one of those men sitting at that table would have the audacity to do that. But there's a five-year-old boy who could. You know why? Because he had an Abba Daddy father. He knew he had the kind of relationship with his dad. Weren't any questions with a five-year-old. Abba Daddy father. No wonder, no wonder. The enemy of our souls... Our world is trying so hard to destroy the image of Father today. It's, it's an outright attempt. This image of Father, it was, it was designed by God. It was blessed of our Lord Jesus Christ. And someone's trying to destroy it. And it's been offered to whoever will believe. But someone doesn't like it. You know, it all kind of started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Two different times, actually three different times kind of like, but at least two and a half times. In those two verses, it says, and God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. Male and female created he them. Uh, that's kind of like a hodgepodge uh, in between um, the NIV, the King James, and the Hebrew. <laughs> Two different times, very specifically. Two different verses, back-to-back, repeated. Um, and I just want to suggest, I just want to suggest something. That ever since that day, The enemy, who's known as Lucifer in the Old Testament, has tried to destroy that image that God has given to us. Male and female created he them. It started in the Garden of Eden, remember, when the enemy appeared as a serpent and tempted Eve and Adam. And we've talked a little bit about this, but this has become an all-out affront on God the creator, the sustainer of life, the giver of every good gift. It's been an all-out affrontal attack on fatherhood. And I believe there's a battle going on in the heavenlies. The scripture speaks of it, and you and I should be aware of it. We see it, we feel it, it's in our face. But we must understand it biblically what's going on. Or we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to live. We don't know how to act. Because you see, if if Satan can destroy this thing God designed for us, if he can destroy the image of a loving, caring, compassionate, providing graceful, patient, honorable, just, holy Father. He's wreaked havoc on humanity, on God's creation. 
because it's the foundation of everything we know. Um, He will successfully have wrecked, warped the image of Abba, Daddy, Father. As God has so gracefully given to us. Understand, I think we understand this. Satan, Jesus even makes the statement, he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those are his objectives. And ever since he was created, he's been hell-bent on killing, destroying everything that God's created. So we shouldn't be surprised. He's tried to steal the word of God from the church. He's tried to steal the truth of God and, and turn them into lies. Objective truth, by the way, no longer. It's just a fantasy for many. There is no objective truth. He's tried to steal biblical morality. How about monogamous marriage? He's tried to steal the value of human life from birth to death, both the unborn and the elderly. You'll find in our manual a statement about euthanasia, mercy killing. Why do we even need that? Well, because there are some hell-bent on killing those who no longer have value. When they get old, they just let them go. We don't need them anymore. He's even tried to steal God's rainbow, huh? How about that one? I tell you what, I, I recognized that years ago before it was even popular. But don't you think there's nothing behind that? There's a reason someone stolen the rainbow, because it was God's covenant with man. That he would never cast the kind of judgment he did that was caused by Sodom and Gomorrah and sinfulness of mankind. So the scripture calls this guy, Lucifer, the author of confusion. (laughs) You bet he is. I don't care what you bring up. He's going to turn it upside down and confuse everybody around that he can. He's going to destroy what he can. Genesis 3 dubs him as the most crafty, more crafty than any wild animal the Lord God created. Quote, unquote. Genesis chapter 3. And Paul the Apostle, when you get to the New Testament in Ephesians 6, he says, listen, I'm going to warn you. He says, you've got to be very careful. He says, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, it's against the authorities, it's against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. Amen. You know, in a few weeks, I'll be going to Africa with some of you, taking a group of 10, 11, Um, I found one thing out about Africa. In America, we talk about the devil. In Africa, a lot of people worship him. And there's a lot of demonic influences there that are visible. And you spend quite a bit of time in spiritual warfare. The pastors and leaders of the church, when we gather for conferences and people come, and some of them are demon-possessed, we spend time casting out the demons. In America, we just think, well, it's some kind of a highfalutin idea that we conjured up. Well, let me tell you, the demon possession is alive and well in America, too. The enemy is not through trying to destroy what God has created. And no one can argue that there's been a gradual now chipping away. The older you are, perhaps the more you've seen this, a gradual chipping away of God's designs and purposes in our world. 
and even in our own nation, the United States of America. Revelations 12, 12, it says that, um, it says that the enemy will be turned loose and, and he, 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 will, he will charge earth with anger and wrath. He's coming for us. The scripture is very plain. He's coming in wrath and anger because he knows. What does he know? Well, he knows the time is short. Sooner or later, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for his own. Hallelujah. When he comes. <laughs> Betty, he's coming back. Yeah. We do not know what we will be. Pastor Jason read this this morning. He didn't finish my favorite part of that passage. Beloved, how wonderful the love of God has lavished upon us. We do not know what we shall be. We know this, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, the time is short. And this explains a little bit of what we're experiencing in our day and age, which we have never experienced before in America. Last week, uh, I made the point from my exegesis on Roman, Romans 1. I made the point that when sin and rebellion is, is not just tolerated, but it's, it's celebrated, it's, um, it's actually applauded and promoted uh, by uh, city and national leaders, uh, something happens in that process. Uh, sin not only becomes an entity in itself, but it becomes a cause and effect. So some sin uh, leads to more sin. And that sin leads to more sin, and that sin leads to more. So it's now both cause and effect. It's more than just a nature. It's a self-perpetuating. It creates and sustains itself. Um... And I think in the 21st century, we've seen a ramping up of this. It's beginning to like snowball a little bit. Godless behavior in our nation, you can see it. It's palatable. We can feel it. The reality is most pastors don't want to deal with it because it causes a lot of angst in the pew. Um, and, uh, and I understand that. It's not a fun thing to talk about. And I read to you a little bit about, it came from the National Gay and Lesbian Manual, which part of the attack is on pastors and churches to make them look antiquated, like backwater in a system that makes no difference. They're not relevant. Let's, let's attack them, approach them. We see that happening. This manual, you can pick it up and read it from the 80s. It's literally an attack on the church and pastors. So pastors feel that, and they don't want to address it because... We have such a different variety of ideas. I got 10 minutes, brother? Thank you. Okay. I got my tying guy back here. How many pastors? Come on, let's be real. How many pastors do you know has his own time man? And in five minutes, he's going to take his cell phone out like this. And he's going to, he's going to do this to me. See? It's like we're in an Elton John conference. Hey, hey, hey. I love you, man. You're a joy to your pastor, I'll tell you right now. He's going to be joining the church next week. I think you guys better do a blood test on him, that's all I'm saying. (laughs) 
So now in the 21st century, you've seen this ramping up. Our, national, our own national leaders, think of this. They've birthed, they both tolerated and promoted ungodly lifestyles and behaviors. Our, our nation it, it now celebrates um, all kinds of weird things. National Pride Month. Where did that come from? It's been around for a little while. It's kind of seeped in, and it's, now, it's, now it's just <laughs> exploded. So you can't get away from it. You see it on the news. You, you see it in the stores. You see it everywhere. My land. Just a few weeks ago, the former Speaker of the House of the United States Congress, she threw out the first pitch to the, the Washington Nationals baseball game. And she made this astounding statement. She says, we are not tolerant. We respect and take pride. I think this is the time and the challenge for us that we face is that we insist we take pride very vocally. And she threw that first pitch out on Gay Pride Night, National Washington players. Meanwhile, the Dodgers. Dodgers are having a day. And they celebrated with the anti-Catholic None, what do they call them, the perpetual sisters, perpetual something or other, indulgence. You think this is just a political thing? It is not. This is out of the pits of hell. And unless the church stands, it'll be no different than having an Auschwitz. When pastors lay silent in the pulpit about the atrocities of a man who was killing God's people, the Jews. And others who were not perfectly. So here our 83-year-old Speaker of the House has said it plain. She's a national leader. Meanwhile, in California, they have a new legislation coming out. It's the SB 107. If they pass it, children will be able to go and get a sex change or treatments without the permission of the parents. You want to get my, my anger up? Just start messing with my children or my grandchildren without my permission. They don't belong to the state. They don't belong to the nation. They belong to me, to you as a parent. God puts you in authority over your kids. Well, who's going to stand up and speak the truth? Not in anger or bitterness, but just in loving truth. You cannot take our children from us. And I'm so grateful. I pray for parents all the time who are willing and courageous enough to stand up in front of church or school boards who are throwing all kinds of crumble at our children at adolescent ages, and I told you my own granddaughter at six years old, last week when she was watching a Hallmark movie of all things, saw two men who were brothers and a little boy. She questioned me as to whether they were married. What's a six-year-old doing with that kind of information? Well, that's what people are feeding. And if you don't think the enemy's behind that, what we see is an affront on God's design and His purposes for His creation. He created them, male and female. Now, I've tried to get to this, uh, what's this, my third week in a row? So I promise not to take you through this anymore, this grueling stuff, but I'm going to read to you in closing. How much time do I have, brother? Five minutes, hallelujah, I think I can do it now. I didn't even have to look at the shining light. Last two through a few weeks he's been down here like this. Does the same thing in Sunday school. I couldn't afford to pay him if I had to for that kind of service. 
I'm going to read to you just the plain gospel. I'm a rather simple man when it comes to the word. I believe what God's word says. But there are many who are twisting these words. They're confused. Some of them, they're leaders in the church. I've talked to them. In fact, our own general assembly, which ends today with a service, they had to deal with these issues in our own denomination. So here we go. The Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you to. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I'm the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws. For the man who obeys them, the man who obeys them will live by them. I'm the Lord. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She's your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter or your father's wife. Born your father. She is your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relationship with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter and her daughter's daughter. They are your close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Verse 20, do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile herself with, with her, yourself with her. Do not give any, of, give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal. Defile yourselves with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways. Because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you, you must not do any of these detestable things as well. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements 
Do not allow any of the detestable customs that are practiced before you and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. The very next chapter starts out, Be holy because I am holy. Lord, we love you today. We ask God, first of all, that you would protect us as holy people of God. May we never become guilty of the practices you abhor. May we rejoice in the holy relationship of a father who loves us so much, who wants to protect us from the evil that would destroy us. Make us strong as a church. Make us strong as a people. Fill us with love that is unmistakable, a patience that is caring and true, a courage, God, that is forthright and always speaks the truth in love. Save us from being judgmental, but to love people into the kingdom who have lost their way. May we be a stable, steady voice for the kingdom and bring you glory in every word, thought, and deed that comes through our lives. Now, in Jesus' name, Father, we give you all praise and glory. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. Turn his face toward you and grant you peace. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you. Have a great day in the Lord. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.